Hello, how are you doing? Welcome back to the Joe and Toby Talk podcast. In today's episode, we are talking about the World Snooker Championship 2022 marathon that has just passed us by. Lots and lots of talking points. It's going to be really, really fun. It's probably also going to be really long, perhaps longer than the longest ever frame at the Crucible, which obviously happened this year at around about 85 minutes. So that would take us up to one hour 25 I'm joined by my ever-dependable co-host, Mr. Toby Jones. How are you doing, sir? And do you think we're going to beat the record of a crucible frame in this podcast? I know noticed that you took a bit of time there. You had a bit of a sigh and a pause to think what adjective to describe me with. And yeah, <laughs> ever-dependable is, is one I'll definitely take compared to what you could have used. Um, Absolute I'm, I'm... twit. <laughs> I've given you the chance now. I should never have said anything. Um, I'm good with a tinge of sadness because it's like anything, whether it's the end of the football season, the F1 season, you get so excited at the climax and then, then it's all over. And you're like, you know, I've spent 16, 17 days sat in front of the telly, listening to the dulcet tones of Dave Hendon, not John Virgo, Dennis and the team. And it's all over. I don't know what we do, but... Uh, I'd go out on a limb. I think it's the best world championship I've watched. Um, there were some really, really good matches. Um, the first round, you know, just in summary, maybe a bit disappointing um, to what we expected. I think that a lot of the seeds got through, which I think we picked. We'll talk about that in a little while. But um, I think the tournament really started to come alive in the in the second round. Um, you know, we, we've Mark Williams playing out of his skin and. Some some shock results, let's just say, and of course, let's not forget Robertson's one four seven. So from the second round onwards, it was really amazing. Um, and yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I really have. I, I enjoy it every year, but maybe it's just because it's just ended. But I think it's the best one I've watched. Yeah, uh, you know, I think um, obviously you've been watching Stuker for probably around about five years now. Mm. Um, and you know, I, I certainly in that that time frame, I, I can't think of a better championship. I think overall, you know, I think we we seen it by the standard of the semi finalists that we had. Um, what a good tournament we have, and it it shows really what can happen when you have uh, all of the top players through to at least the last thirty two, um, and not getting bumped off in the last one to eight. Uh, and and you know cream rises to the top and all of that and and that certainly was the case in this tournament in my opinion um, probably four of the best five players on the circuit at the moment got to the semi-finals so um, yeah very very interesting and I'm sure we'll talk about the the update to the UK Championship later in the the podcast because I think you know sort of towards the end we'll we'll talk about the season in general. Um, but yeah, it was it was an awesome tournament. I, I certainly watched a lot of it. Um, my girlfriend actually was really into the snooker this year, and you know we've even booked tickets to go and go to the Crucible, make the pilgrimage uh, next year. I know you have yourself bought tickets, yep. um, so you know both of us are going next year. Which we weren't saying this in the podcast last year, so something must have went right, um, and you know. I, I, I'm I'm looking forward to it already, and I, I just think it was a really nice. Um, there was a really nice atmosphere to the tournament. There wasn't too much controversy. It was it was 
you know, uh, generally played in a very good spirit. And, you know, there was a lot of really hilarious moments in the tournament, which sometimes we're dwelling on the controversies that have happened. And uh, I don't think that's happened too much this year, other than a couple of little incidents, which we'll we'll talk about later in uh, the show. But um, should we get cracking? There's a lot to get through. And I think the the logical place to start, obviously, last time we gave our full predictions for the tournament and uh, in particular focused on those first round matches. So we're going to do a little recap of each round and, and what our thoughts were. But um, you were right for once, Toby. Your predictions of back in, back in the favourite horses uh, seemed to work. In this year's tournament, uh, 13 out of the 16 seeds, I believe, got through and uh, some really comfortable scorelines in there as well. What was the highlight of the first round for you and, and what was the biggest surprise, perhaps? Well, I think we start with a big surprise. Um, one of the names I talked about that I thought would have been an absolute shoe for the second round. He always does it. Always, It's fair to say that... Um, Barry Hawkins usually gets, in certainly the last couple of years, a, a favourable draw. I think I remember rightly he played Simon Lichtenberg a couple of years ago. That name seems to stick in my head. Well, I don't know about the that. Other, <laughs> the other players. Um, I'm joking. It was. Um, <laughs> I'm only joking. Here. Um, I think it was. Was it Erzenbacher he played? Uh, could have been. I know he had a 10 1 a, c- yeah. a couple of years ago, didn't he? Um... Yeah. I'll pull in your leg a bit. So. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I'll say I don't remember him playing at the Crucible. <laughs> it was in Snooker 19. Um, but, um, the yeah, the, go, the ginger Hawkins. nugget or whatever Bobby G <laughs> called him. Um, I'm not sure Bobby G will be watching this, so I don't think he'll be offended. But um... but yeah, um, Barry Hawkins, he, he's usually a shoo-in to get into the second round. Um, I looked at his draw against Jackson Page, didn't know a lot about him. Um as John Parrott would say, I've never seen the lad play before. Um, and and to be honest, I didn't watch the match. I don't. I can't remember what I was watching instead. Um, it might have been looking at the matches that were on. Perhaps I was watching. Was I guess maybe Ronnie and Gilbert were on at the same time. Or but anyway, um, yeah, it was a real shock. I, I I remember the first session that Jackson took a lead. And I was quite surprised, but he, he played well. Um, so that that was a massive shock because you know I, I expected Barry Hawkins to have a decent tournament, albeit he was going to face the eventual winner in the next round. Well, my eventual winner and should have been the eventual winner. I'm not I'm not uh, still <laughs> sulking about that or anything. But uh, yeah, that that was the biggest shock I think of the first round was uh, the Hawk going out. And yeah, as you just, as you've just said, really, there weren't many shocks purely because 13 out of the 16 seeds went through. Um, looking at the other two that dropped out, um, Brissell, I guess, was a bit of a shock, but mostly <clears> down to how he's played this season. I think that if it was 12 months ago, we wouldn't have been shocked. Um, but with how he's been playing this season, it was a shock, especially 10-5. You know, that's, yeah. that's definitely a bit of a drubbing, really. And, and he's still not won a match at the Crucible. So, you know, I was backing him to get to the semi-final. I think um, the way he played this season, he was sort of playing with a carefree, mm. uh, you know, attitude. And... Um, he was one, you know, a silly bugger in in the fact that he, um, made a lot of outrageous comments before he played, mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. you know, as we've seen, that's never ever a good idea, um, and yeah, Karma hit him in the backside, and uh, Nopon Sangam 
you know, I think was by far the better player in that that match and deservedly went through. Yeah, yeah, couldn't agree more. It's just a shame, really, because Brussels had uh, such a good season. So that 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 was a, that was a shock, but not a huge shock. Um, and then again, Sean Murphy dropped off, which I, I predicted Murphy to win. I can't remember if you predicted. I did, him. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and and I guess looking back, maybe that was a bit foolish. Um, but I guess equally, I think we thought that um Maguire wasn't really going to turn up. He, okay, he had the run. Well, the <laughs> I know we said that beforehand, but um. Just a word on Maguire. I think he played really well. Um, he certainly did in his second round matches. match. Uh, uh, you, you know, I thought I thought the match with Murphy and Maguire was was a bit scrappy. I thought yeah. it was, you know, uh, there was a lot of talk about Murphy being in the commentary box on the morning uh, mm-hmm. of his match, and even in the middle of his match, um, he, he, you know between sessions was in the commentary box so uh, how much he you know had confidence in how well he could do i mean to be fair he did nearly get through to to round two i think towards the end of the match he was probably playing the better snooker um but maguire did come out with with three very good frames at the end i believe murphy was eight seven up um but yeah, it wasn't too big a surprise, I don't think, that Sean Murphy went out, particularly with the, the standard of his opponent and a good run of the quarterfinals for, for Stephen Maguire, and I'm sure we will um, talk about that going going forward. Um, match of the round for me, though, was definitely that Ding Junhui, uh, or sorry, uh, Dong Junhui, uh, <laughs> as the commentators seem to call him, uh, against Kyron. You know, I thought that was a really... Good quality match, I think. Uh, that was probably the pick of the round when you looked at the draw. I know yeah. a lot of people were going on about O'Sullivan Gilbert and p- perhaps when Gilbert went 3-0 up, maybe we thought, oh, here we go. But um, that'll be a, a theme throughout the tournament. We talk about Ronnie and it is ultimate focus, really, um, towards getting the job complete. But, yeah, that match against uh, Wilson and Ding was was one for the ages, I think, first round. It was brilliant, and um, I thoroughly enjoyed watching all of that. Yeah, it was one of those that you felt sorry for whoever, whoever to lose, really, especially with me in a first-round match. Yeah. Um, you know, again, Ding like Maguire, someone who's um, fallen off the, the face of the top 16, really. But, uh, you know, he played really well. Uh, Kyron Wilson, we, we've talked about it before, and I think it's something for um, a different podcast because we're never going to fit it in today. But uh, Kyron's just outside that, that top bubble for me. You know, he's a real solid player. There's the, the five or six players, um, the usual, the class of 92, and then Selby, Trump and Robbo. Um, who were at the top for me, but uh, Kyron falls just below that group, and uh, you know, for for considering the form that Ding's been in, um, for him to run him to ten eight, that you know, really respectable score, and uh, like you say, it was uh, it was a brilliant match. There, there were some other really good matches in there. Um, Robbo had a bit of a scare, didn't he? You know, <laughs> yeah, ten five against yeah. Hugill, and Hugill was ahead. Um, yeah, and but, and uh, then... Matthew Stevens as well against Lazowski. That was a very close one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the yeah, I was a good hit for Stevens to be honest, because uh, it had been great to see see him get through. And uh, Robertson might have actually got to the quarters, but uh, which yeah, could have changed the whole tournament, you know? It really we... could have. We'll talk about Robertson later, yeah. shall we? Um, <laughs> but uh, are you going to add mean, that the... to your, your your list of things to talk about? I've noticed it's growing. 
yeah, I, I mean, I don't know if anybody can hear me in the background type. <laughs> no, I know I couldn't. I could just see uh, see ominous things popping up on my screen. Um... <laughs> We've gone from from two items in any of these to six, and we're only about ten minutes in, so that, that that's really worrying. But uh, the, the, uh, to focus on something else, the drubbing of the round was Zhao Zintong against Jamie Clark. I mean, look how one sided. Uh, I mean, Jing Tong. Well, well... I thought before the tournament he could have been one that that slipped up uh, had he been drawn against uh, a, a Maguire, which you know yeah. um, we'll get to, um, or a, or a Ding. Uh, but he, he turned up and he played absolutely fabulous snooker in that first session. I think it, it was something like four centuries in that first match he got. He was just awesome, and I was thinking, wow. That is going to be some quarterfinal with Ronnie, the way these yeah. two are playing. I really did think, wow, what a match that's going to be. But, um, you know, we'll get to that a bit later. But that was a brilliant match from him. And I do think he'll be back. I think he'll, I think he will feature in a lot of, uh, you know, crucible lineups to, to, to come. Whether he's a world champion or not, that's probably a, a discussion for another day. The other drubbing was uh, Mark Williams versus Michael White. Uh, you know, he was, I think, 7-0 up at one point. Yeah. Maybe 8-0. Yeah, yeah. um, I think I think it was 7-1 after the yeah. first session. Um, I mean, well, again, we'll, we'll talk about Williams again later, but... Uh... That that was a drubbing. It was uh, it was unbelievable. Yeah. It really was. You know, William Zington getting off to the best start. Even Robbo was shaky, as we just said. Um, the real shaky starters, albeit getting through quite easily in the end, were uh, Judd and Selby, weren't they? We we, we said yeah. at the start, so yeah, preview that um, the world championship for me depended on the form of these two guys. These were the, you know the, these were the two question marks coming into the tournament. Um, we were just on about Robertson and. Robertson, unsurprisingly, I'd say, went out um, in in the second round. Uh, it it just seems to be a Robertson trait that him and the Crucible just doesn't gel. But the the yeah, talk about that big six. Um, obviously, we covered Robertson, the class of ninety two, had done brilliantly again. But Selby and Trump were the, the question marks. And I remember Selby coming out on the first point. I say I remember now because it was two and a half weeks ago. Um, and he looked really shaky against Jamie Jones. He pulled himself together, though, and won. Um, Judd was the one who was, I think, even shakier, to be quite honest, um, against Hossein Fafai yeah. at the start of that match. But I think that um, Trump, drew, uh, he, he dragged Hossein down to his level. Mm, uh, yeah, early yeah. On, I think Hossein, he either miscued or got something drastically wrong. I think he tripped um, the white over the black, yeah, didn't he, at some point? yeah. Brilliant trick shot. JV would have been proud. Uh, but, um, you know, he, Hossein, I was disappointed with Hossein Fafai. He, he was someone that uh, I actually tipped against the quarterfinal um, because I thought if he got past Judd Trump that, you know, he, he'd get past McGill mm -hmm. um, or Highfield. Um, but, yeah, he was a bit of a disappointment. But um, Judd Trump just about got through. Again, Judd Trump, someone will cover a bit later because he didn't really find his best form there but in terms of the first round just to, to wrap up from my side yeah it wasn't too much of a surprise really i think as a as a headline it's got to be that hawkins match because that was just a massive shock yeah um i mean there's always one every year where um this sort of thing happens i, I wouldn't have picked it from that match though Jackson Page, um, you know, hasn't really, you know, although he's shown it in in flashes his ability, and I believe he got to, 
you know, the last 16 of the Welsh Open when he was 15 or, or something silly like that. So, um, you know, he is a player that is very, very good. Um, I know Mark Williams raves about him a lot, but I, I didn't expect him to, to come out and it was the way he played. You know, I don't think Hawkins played badly. Jackson Page was just awesome in that first round match. And, you know, I think, again, that match was, was 6-3. Um, Jackson Page, I think, potentially 6-2. And uh, could have been a lot more comfortable for him, but um, yeah, Hawkins Hawkins went out in the first round. But uh, any uh, any other thoughts about the first round, or do you want to move on to the second round? Uh, let's go. Let's go to the second. Round. Second round, then. So uh, we're sort of going to group them into two matches um, each way. So uh, of course, at the top half of the draw, you had, or the top quarter of the draw, you had uh, Mark Selby versus Yan Bing Tao the defending champion, of course. And then you had uh, the sort of match that Mark Williams didn't want to happen. He, he came out publicly and said the only player he doesn't want to play in the first round is Jackson Page. And it's sod's law um, that <laughs> he, he got Jackson Page in the second round. But um, we'll touch on that one first, I suppose. Um, it was, you know, a second season syndrome for Jackson Page, I think in that second round match. Yeah, well, Willow, Willow was his typical wily self. He, uh, before the match, um, I was watching the coverage, it was Joe Perry, I, can't, I think it might be, uh, I can't remember who was presenting, to be honest, but uh, they're in the practice room and they're practicing together and they talk about it and Mark Williams just comes up to the camera and just stares at Joe Perry. It was uh, Rishi Passad, I think. Yeah, that's it, yeah. I thought it was Rishi. Um but that was comical um, and said, well, you know, if he beats me, he beats me and he probably will. But what a load of codswallop he was talking there. He absolutely played Jackson Page off the table. And that, that that's not anything against Jackson Page because Mark Williams was just, as he was really against Michael White. I know that you said that White could have given him a close game. And I think that, you know, if he'd have played against most of the other top 16, he would have given a decent go at it. But um, Mark Williams, again... Three frames conceded against Michael White. Three frames only against Jackson Page. Six frames only in the first two rounds. That, that's just <laughs> well, yeah, unbelievable yeah. form, yeah. really. Um, and uh, unfortunately, knocked two of his uh, Welsh counterparts out of the tournament. So mm. he's the only one left after the uh, the second round. Obviously, Jamie Jones went, and uh, Matt Stevens and um, Jamie Clark had already gone. Yeah, um, but uh, you know, it just just unbelievable. Um, the amount of centuries he got in that match that obviously accumulates to him uh, equaling the record for the amount of centuries uh, at the World Championship. That was uh, unbelievable. And, you know, he, he just played so well. And I, I'm really chuffed for him because he, he'd been in good form before this tournament. I made no secret that I thought he was going to be the champion. And to be honest, you know, after the first two matches, um, you would, I think you would have probably made him favourites. All right, he didn't play the best opponents, but it's the same story. You've still got to get past them, and to dominate in that fashion was just, you know, unbelievable. Mm. It really was. It mm. was, um, it, you know, I, I just can't describe it any more than that. I just think that, you know, he did a fantastic job. Um, and all of a sudden, it starts to open up for him, doesn't it? Because Bing Tao then goes and beats Selby. Well, yeah, I mean, I always backed Bing Tao to, to beat Mark Selby. I think, um, you know, Selby's had a very, very poor season. I think uh, Jamie Jones had his chances in that match. Um, 
I think a lot of the other opponents would have put him out in the first round. I don't. I wasn't impressed by Selby at all. He had a couple of good breaks, but um, yeah, he looked rubbish early on. Uh, and the highlight of that match for me, and perhaps the tournament, was the Crucible Pigeon. Catch the pigeon. <laughs> Where's the pigeon going? Where's the pigeon going? Um, one of the highlights, absolutely hilarious. If you haven't seen it, then where have you been? Um, but go and check it out on the BBC Sport website uh, on, on the snooker page. And uh, yes, you're in for a good giggle on that. But uh, Yan Bingtao played really well, I thought. And, you know, a comfortable winner in the end, 13-10 over yeah, Mark Selby. Yeah, yeah, he was. Um just a word of credit for Selby because I think he did play much better in that match. He was very shaky against Jamie Jones, but mm. um, he did turn up against Bing Tao. But I would have still made Bing Tao the favourite for that. I think uh, I predicted Bing Tao to win that one. I guess you would have probably predicted Bing Tao to beat Jamie Jones, presumably, in your uh, event prediction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah uh, I think yeah. I had Bing Tao get to the final, so. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That went well. <laughs> Fight you. <laughs> well, we'll discuss that later because. Hmm. Well, no comment. <laughs> uh, but, um, yeah, Selby played well. Um, I continue to be impressed by Bing Tao um, because for his age, he plays a very measured, level-headed game, doesn't he? He's not. Mm. He doesn't have all this bravado and doesn't smack the balls around the table. But he's got a very measured way of playing. Um, I think he's not, made for the not, crucible. I really do. Not, not ironically, not too dissimilar to his opponent. I guess. Mm, mm, I um, think. I think with you know Selby, his early days on the tour, I think it was very clear that longer matches were going to suit Selby. Yeah. I think that's still the case, and I think yeah. it's the same for Bing Tao. Yeah, and uh, you know he did a really professional job. Um, he got a bit of stick because in one of the frames he asked the. Uh, Referee to, to, to clean the cue ball. Um, he was in the sneaker, or at least a tight. I think it was it was tight. I don't think he'd see the, the red or I can't remember. He was on red well, it, it, it was he was playing the brown past the blue, yeah. and it was very tight. And he spent about three minutes on this shot. And I, I don't know if you watched it live. Um, I did. I did. Toby, yeah. but 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 certainly, I, I didn't detect a hint of him trying gamesmanship there. I. I Got the humor of it, and I think it was, yeah, yeah, it was, it was definitely, you know, I, I think a lot was made of it. Um, and he came out the next day and you know said it was a joke and whatever, and people seemed to lay off him after that, which I thought was good. Um, but yeah, there was a lot of uproar about that from not necessarily people that watched it live, they they watched the clip, I think, and yeah. you know, but. Never mind. But it, it, it was, uh, you know, it, it was a tiring match. It was one of those, again, with those two. I don't know how to, Well, was this the one with the longest frame? It was, yeah. yeah. That's the one. I knew it was. Well, yeah. I was just about to say that you wouldn't expect a match with these two to be quick. Um, and, yeah, it was the longest frame. So, uh, you know, you can completely understand that, you know, the humour's great. Um, but, yeah, after he came out and said it was a joke, I think the, the relevant people apologised. I think one of those was... Uh, our mate Angles. Um, mm. I think Eurosports coverage focused on that quite a lot and gave him a bit of stick. But now that they come out and apologised after that, which is uh, which is fair dues. You can't complain for for one thing about Eurosport about that. But I'm yeah, sure there'll be more. <laughs> another great another great match. Mm. Um, this is where I say you know it starts to come alive in the second round. That um, Williams Jackson Page match was a slaughtering, but it was a really tight match and. 
Um, you know, a, a, another great one. But as I say, really, after that, um, it does start to open up for Williams because although I've just given the plaudits to Bing Tao, um, after the way Williams is playing, it, it, I think whoever would have gone through in that match would have probably gone into the quarter second favour. But uh, we'll talk about that um, in a little while. Mm. So move on to the second uh, duo. Yeah, so uh, before the, the round started, I thought this match was the pick of the draw. Uh, Kyron versus Stuart Bingham. I mean, uh, you know, Kyron doesn't get a break. He he kind of catches breath because he he had uh, Ding in the first round, then Bingham in the second round. That's a, a tough little run there, and um, Bingham actually ended Kyron's run of eight consecutive quarterfinals or later um, by beating him thirteen nine. Uh, and there was a couple of one four seven attempts in that match. It was a, it was a strange match, really. Uh, I think it was very tight until the final session where Bingham just seemed to pull away. I know you're a big fan of Stu Bingham, and, and surely you, you watched quite a bit of that match. Well, I did. I don't think I watched the first session again because I think there was there was something else on. I think it was um, four H or five three to Wilson. Um, but amazingly, after seventeen, Wilson was. Um, I think he was. Uh, Eight seven up, um, he was and, yeah yeah, and uh, you know a Bingham went and won the match thirteen nine. Um, I know we spoke about Bingham before, and he is one of those that can really flatter to deceive. But but when he turns up, all right, he gets the run of the balls, but um, <laughs> not as much know, as he, his he next can... opponent. Well, yeah, but uh, you know he, he played really well. It's one of those common phrases you make your own luck, isn't it? But but mm. Bingham played really well, as you said. It was a tough one against Kyron. I did think mm, he might struggle here, particularly with how Kyron played against Ding in the previous round. That was the that was the big thing. Um, mm. No box office really against Liu Haishan from Bingham in the previous round. Just yeah, one that you know he had to get through and did, and uh, so often does really. Um, but yeah, it was it was a brilliant result for, for Bingham. I was chuffed with that, particularly by the margin. But I think that um, after Bingham won the first couple of frames, I think that of the of the last session that was that um, Kyron just kind of gave up hope a little bit, really. And, mm. and, and very unlike Kyron, that. But mm. I agree. He, he sort of he sort of um, um, you know dropped like a fly at the end and. Uh... Yeah, it was it was a shame because I think Kyron could have had a big say in this tournament had he got through that match. But hey, that's that's the way things go. Um, and you know, one of your favorite players, Bingham, got through. Uh, the next match. Now, if you've been listening to this podcast or, or listening to either of us for uh, a long time, you'll know that uh, for me, this next matchup was. Uh, not not one that I wanted to watch particularly much. Um, Judas against the devil. <laughs> yes. Uh, I, I sort of lost all respect for Anthony McGill a couple of years ago with the, the whole Jamie Clark incident. And, you know, it, there's been a couple of little incidents since then that I, I just can't get over uh, with him. And, you know, everybody knows my feelings about Judd Trump. Um so that was a, a a strange match, and it was a, it was one of those ones where it's probably the only match of the season uh, that I'd back, or I'd want Anthony McGill to win. Um, and I tell you what, he 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 ran Trump pretty close, didn't he? He did. He did. 
Judd Trump with his brand of naughty snooker. You ever heard that one before? Nah, every, first time. Every, every, every single session. <clears throat> the ice of the pack with his brand of naughty snooker. Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, he did run in close. It was a bit of a surprise. I know I've said that he didn't turn up against Fafai, but you'd have expected Trump to beat McGill fairly um, solidly. Obviously, McGill knocked out uh, Ronnie at the same stage last yeah. season. That seemed yeah. like a lifetime ago now. But, um, <laughs> you know, that... That, again, it was a good match. Admittedly, I'll hold my hands up. Didn't watch much of it for the reasons that we've just hinted at. Um, did watch the last session, though, but I guess it's that thing that Judd being a class player, that clash just always prevails. And a few scrappy frames from what I remember at the end, and uh, McGill didn't really take his chances. Judd did, and, and that's that's how it goes, really. When it's one or two frames in it, if you, you take your chances, then you get through to the next round. And... Uh, but again, uh, as for the first round, really, the reason it wasn't more comfortable, I think, is because Judd wasn't firing, really. He wasn't playing that well, was he? Um, in contrast to, let's say, Mark Williams. Mm. Um, you know, he they were poles apart, really, I think, considering they both got to the quarterfinal. You know, Mark Williams playing so well, and Judd Trump, I think you could say at best, easing his way in, because I don't think he played particularly well in either of the first two matches. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I think Trump was a little bit fortunate with the draw. I think had Trump perhaps had, you know, a different opponent um, in round one or, or round two, I think perhaps he would have went out at that stage. But hey, that's the way it goes. He did get through and um, that's the main thing, I suppose, at the second round. So... Um, Moving on to the next group, and of course, what turned out to be the match of the 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 second round was Neil Robertson versus Jack Klosowski. I think we'll come back to that in a second. Um, but John Higgins versus Nopon Sangam started off very tight. I think it was four all after the first session, and then Higgins sort of pushed on in the middle session, like a lot of the top players always seem to do. Um, and ran out a comfortable victor in the end. But uh, Nopon, again, I think, had a, a one four seven attempt in, in that match. Oh. And, um, I mean, we could have potentially had four one four sevens in the second round, which would have just been ridiculous. Um, but anyway, uh, it wasn't to be for Nopon and, and Higgins comfortably through. But, you know, I want to talk a little bit about this Neil Robertson match. And uh, uh, Jack Lesowski, for me in that match, went from being a good player to a, a great player. You know, I'm not putting him in the in the bracket of top players just yet, but I think he, 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 he elevated himself into Kyron Wilson-ish territory. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm, I completely agree. 100%. You know, I... I, I if, he was just brilliant in that match, and the bottle that he showed in that deciding frame was second to none that was one of the best performances in the whole world championship for me was that yeah. match there yeah 100 percent um i have to say i've warmed to masowski a little bit um not been the biggest fan of him in the past not 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 really too sure why um don't dislike the guy but never been one of his biggest fans um and in the first round, would have liked to have seen Matthew Stevens get through, but just a blessing that he did, uh, that Jack Lazowski got through, that is. Um, as I said, 
funny with with Neil. I'll focus on him first with Neil Robertson. Um, made a one four seven, and then got knocked out just to, as John Higgins did um, a couple of years ago when he made the last one four seven here. Just a, a strange old conundrum with Robertson. You could have ten twenty minutes talking about that itself, particularly after such a good season. I know he went in favourite here and I was done in the past, but particularly after the season that he's had, um, it, it, it is a, it is a head scratcher. That, yeah, uh, he didn't do better. I think with with your point, whether he beat Lazowski, maybe that could have given him a bit of confidence. But I think, to be honest, I think Higgins would have beat him anyway. Um, I just can't see him have gone any further just knowing his record at the Crucible. Um, and in fact, definitely against a player like Higgins, because I think Robertson would get a bit ground down by that. At least Lazowski plays a game that's not too far away from from Robbo. So. But uh, obviously the first decider we had, because we were, we were pucking that we hadn't had a decider. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it, I should say, brilliant bottle from Lazowski in that deciding frame. And uh, I was just thinking when you were saying that, you know, not in the great category, but sort of in the Chiron category that I was talking about before. And I think you're absolutely right there that um, he joined Chiron in that category. And I think that uh, looking at the other players, you know, he, he didn't have a great championship, but um, if Purcell keeps performing, I think he can become yeah. part of that group. I think Mark um, Allen's in that group. Sean Murphy probably. You know, basically the players that I, I think, I think that Mark Allen and Sean Murphy are probably players on their day players. I think there's a lot of them. Just to digress a little bit, I think there's a lot of those on their day players that can beat people. You, you Binghams of the world as well. I think you can add to that list, but I think that um, Kyron. Because <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean Bingham's not unique, um, is he? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> um, but um, you know, I, I think that yeah, Lazowski, Kyron's in that group. As I say, I think that they they've got they're a little bit above. Um, with a bit more experience again, Zhao Zintong, I think can get into that group, but not, mm. not completely convinced yet for reasons we'll discuss in just a second. But. Yeah, brilliant bottle from Lazowski in that decider. Um, you know, it was really impressive. And just to touch on the John Higgins match, he must have been the enemy of Thailand. He took Onu out and then took Oh uh, Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, just like Mark Williams knocked out two Welshmans, it's it's a, a strange thing to happen, um, you know, for you to... I mean, these days with Snooker, it's very rare that you play two players of the same nationality in two consecutive matches. So, um yeah, it was a strange one, but <laughs> yeah, I mean to touch on the the Robbo, I'm I'm sort of done here in the whole. Um, uh, things will be dif- different this year. I'm you know gonna make sure that I play my way. This, that, and the other. I think essentially to, to be a bit blunt, he should just keep his mouth shut and just go into the tournament and say, right, I'm just gonna enjoy it. Because that seems to work for like, other I, people, I, you I know. Don't think it, I, I don't think it's that. I just think that there's something about it. It just doesn't go for Robertson, whether he talks or not. I just think that, you know, maybe, maybe, <clears throat> maybe the matches of that length aren't for Robertson. Mm. You know, he, he always has an off session every single yeah. match, and that's and that. That's you it. can't do that. You know, the rest of the season, the most you're looking at usually is a best of nineteen. Mm. Um, and Robertson usually plays well then. You've hit the nail on the head. Um, you get a bit longer, he has a bad session, and it's curtains. And I think that's that's something to do with it. Um, I know in previous years he's criticised the Crucible and all the rest of it. and It's just one of those things that 
you know, Robertson doesn't like the Crucible, and that, that, not not himself, but you know, he, his form, if you like, doesn't like the Crucible. There's something about it. It's incredible um, that Robbo's only won one one world title. But I think rather than focusing on Robertson's uh, Robertson as a neg- negative point, I think um, you know, Jack Lazowski was a worthy quarterfinalist. It's not like he was drowned out by, by a Selby and you thought, well, he's just played his typical game there and, and beat him. But no, Lazowski really deserved to get into that quarterfinal. So a tinge of sadness for, for Robbo, but, you know, Lazowski played very well. And uh, yeah. on the other match, you know, Higgins was just comfortable, wasn't he, really? Mm, yeah, I think, uh, you know, that match was probably the best Higgins looked in the whole tournament. Um, you know, and the standard of opponent maybe maybe helped with that. You know, I know Nopon is a, is a good player. He's a solid player, but he's he's not going to challenge for world championships anytime soon. Uh, and, you know, Higgins did look like he was always going to win that match, really. Um, yeah, Lesowski, absolutely brilliant, as, as we've said. Uh, and, you know, one to look out for, I think, next season. Uh, I hope he breaks his duck of winning a ranking title because I think people are getting on his back about that. Um and and hopefully he will manage to to win one next season. Um, but yeah, on to the, the the final little group, we have uh much fancied Zhao Zintong against Stephen Maguire, which I think we'll talk about second again. Uh, and then we had of course the, the match with Mark Allen and, and Ronnie, and I've seen a lot in the build up to that match of people, uh, actually predicting Mark Allen to win that match. Uh, I'm not really sure where they could justify that from. Mark Allen was absolutely abysmal in his first round match. He was just lucky that Scott Donaldson was worse. Um, You know, I've not seen Mark Allen play that badly for a long time. And that's sort of where he's at in his career at the moment. And, you know, for, for my money, Ronnie had... Perhaps the easiest second round he, he could have had out of any of the seeds. Um, and showed it, I think, 13-4. You know, Ronnie was 6-1 up after um, in the in the first session. I think it was 6-2 eventually. But uh, that's where Ronnie, for me, really sort of laid down his cards as a, as a contender. I, I don't know what you your thoughts were of that match. Yeah, I, I, I would agree um, with that. Just to go back to the, the previous point you made about people saying that Mark Allen, you know, was potentially the favourite to win. We had the same crap with Gilbert in the previous match. Oh, you know, he could have, he could beat Ronnie. And it's just, I think people like to build up the hype against Ronnie, whoever he plays. Oh, well, he could lose. And I know we talked about it in the preview. A lot of people, maybe more casual fans, well, it depends what version of Ronnie turns up and all that, and I just don't believe that for a second. Um, could have believed it a couple of years ago, but I don't now. Um, and Ronnie, a similar argument to Williams, really, in that, yes, all right, Williams has only conceded six frames in the first two, but uh, look at the level of opponent that Ronnie played. Um, only conceded nine frames, and simply put, in that second round, you're absolutely right, they were just a class apart, before, even before they went into the match. You know, you, you look at that draw and you think, in years gone by, yes, Mark Allen could have beat him, but this year, no. Nah. You know, as you say, the way that Mark Allen played in the first round wasn't 
that inspiring. I went with Scott Donaldson to beat Mark Allen. Didn't happen because, as you say, he was fairly uninspiring as well. <laughs> but uh, you know, as you as you pointed out, it's just the stage that Mark Allen is in his career. He's fifteenth as a seed, just not really surprising. And I think um, I'm right in saying is he is he sixteenth in the rankings now? I, I feel like I've. Uh-oh. Seen I, that somewhere. I, I um, think no, he's. he's I don't know how um, particularly, but he won the Northern Ireland earlier this year, ah, didn't he? So, yeah, yeah. Um, very, very, very fortunate that that was the case. Um, in, in, for my money, I, I do think Mark Allen is not long for the top sixteen now. Yeah, I'd agree, especially with some of the the, the uh, competition you know, mm. behind him. Mm. Um, the, uh, again, the Fafis of this world. Ricky Walden has had a good season. Probably talk about that a bit later, so I won't touch on it too much. But yeah, just 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 a class apart, really. Um, yeah. And all of a sudden, you know, you've got all three of the class of '92 through to the quarters. Was I right in thinking? Is it the first time since '99 or something like that? The... What? The, all three of them were through at the quarters. Yeah, I think I think, uh, I sort of I think it was 2011. I think. Oh right, okay. Um, from memory, I know Higgins and Williams played in the semi-final, and Higgins beat Ronnie in the quarters that year. So could have been the semis then, perhaps. Ninety-nine seems to. Yeah, yeah, po- possibly for the set. I mean, maybe they've never um, been in in the semis together. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I I I don't know the answer to that question. I will check <laughs> while you're talking. Well, I was checking, so... Okay, you check then. <laughs> That's fine, you no. check. Um, yeah, I, you know, I don't think a, a lot more to say about that that match in particular. Um, you know, as you say, class apart. Uh, and, you know, we... I think we we all expected Ronnie to go through. Um, but the the other match, Zhao versus Stephen Maguire, I, th- I think that was a shock. You know, p- perhaps the biggest shock of the tournament really was how the 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 downturn in form of Zhao Zintong from round one, where he was brilliant, he blew Jamie Clark off the table, sentries all over the place, to the erratic, inexperienced, wrong shot selection player in round two that he when he played Stephen Maguire. And Stephen Maguire just uh, took him apart, really, um, and showed his experience. And I think Maguire knows he's not going to beat Zhao Zintong at his own game. Maguire had to dig in and work out other ways to win and absolutely did. And, and Zintong was found out, I'm afraid. And, you know, I don't know how you felt about that match, but for me, that was a, a big shock. Just to, to answer the previous question, they go on. And we finally ninety nine, um, with some Scotsman called Stefan Hendry. Ah, never heard of him. No, nor me. That might have been just a one time player. I don't know, but yeah, the the Maguire's in tongue match. Um, that was it. Was a real shock. And that's what I was saying earlier about how well Maguire played. I don't want to dwell too much on how Zing Tong played. Um, it, contrary to your argument a bit, I think that Maguire, um, he's got the experience. As you, as you say about Zing Tong, yeah, played some of the, the shots that were wrong, but um, 
you know, Maguire was just really on form. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And, you know, he, he had a good lead. He held it throughout um, and played, just played really well. I was impressed with Maguire. And that was the first time for a long time that I thought, you know what, Maguire's got a genuine chance if he plays like that. Um, of getting back to the last six, the, the top sixteen, but I think with Maguire, it's it's just too rare an occasion for him to do that. He doesn't do it often enough, and I think that's the problem. If you're going to get into the top sixteen, um, and stay there, you've got to be fairly consistent rather than you know winning the Tour Championship and doing nothing for the next two years. For example, hypothetically, um, but yeah, he played really well. Um, and again, just to sum up my point about. The second round being where it really came alive. You, you look at all of those winners of the second round, all bar Judd Trump, um, and you think we've got some real class in this quarterfinal. You know, Ronnie was playing really well. Maguire played solidly. Higgins was untroubled, really. Um, Blazowski was playing great. Bingham played well. Mm. We discussed Mark Williams and Bing Tao was playing well. So, well, I think it was, it was a, where... a, a quarterfinal where five of the eight for me could have easily won the tournament from that point. And you know the key thing, seven out of that, seven out of eight of those were seeds. Mm-hmm. One one qualifier left, which mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. you know we've seen um, in past seasons, uh, qualifiers or lowly seeded players. Let's say, um, I know Lazowski was fourteen, and obviously Bingtow sixteen. But there's been examples where the lower seeded players have been um, of poorer quality. It's fair to say that have got to the stage, and I think that. The quality of player makes it the best championship I've certainly watched. I think that there were some real um, eye-watering quarterfinal ties, really were. And uh, you know, the, the second round just just picked off the players that uh, ultimately weren't of, of that caliber. I think that you know maybe the the two exceptions to that were um, Kyron and Robbo. Obviously, Robbo took Lasaski to a decider, and and Kyron just a bit unfortunate for the reasons we mentioned, but. Mm. Um, yeah, I think it wasn't one of those that you went, oh, well, he's got through to the last eight because he had a good draw. Maybe only Judd Trump, mm. you could say that for. Mm. But mm. Uh, a really good lineup for the quarters. Absolutely. Um, you know, uh, I, I said it before, five out of eight. I actually think six out of eight um, of, of that lineup could have easily won the, the championship. Um, the ones I'm not saying. Uh, I don't think Jack Lazowski would have, would have quite had the endurance to win the tournament from that point. Um, and I don't think Maguire would have, you know, uh, everybody else. Genuine chance of winning the tournament from there for me. But, uh, yeah, you, you know, a, a massive quality of player. The class of 92 there, Judd Trump there, Stu Bingham, former world champion, Jan Bingtow, Masters champion, Um you know, Lazowski running on a high from beating Robertson and even Maguire beating Zing Tong, you know, who was much fancied. So uh, it couldn't really have been any better for, for me. Um, potentially, you, you know, you put a Robbo in there for Jack Lazowski, but even so, I think it was an awesome lineup. Um, and as you say, it comes from the seeds that all of the top eight made it through to round two. And, and that's you know a, a massive thing um that that helped create this quarterfinal if you like but uh starting at the top Yan Bing Tao versus Mark Williams and uh the first sort of session in this match Mark Williams 
seemed to start uh, where he left off in the, the previous two matches. And, uh, you know, when he was 6-2 up against Bing Tao, I was like, OK, maybe Toby's right. Maybe Mark Williams <laughs> is going to win this tournament. But uh, we're going to come back to that match, I think, because I've got a question mark for you and want to ponder while we're talking about the other match. Mark Williams peaked too soon, question mark. Um, but anyway, Stuart Bingham versus Judd Trump. I will I will leave you bursting to, to say something about that match. But uh, the Bingham versus Trump match was the, the pendulum swinging match of the tournament bar one for me. It was bizarre watching that. I think Bingham early on looked pretty good. I think Trump was 5-3 up. Then Bingham went 8-5 up. And uh, you messaged me and jinxed him. Yep. I'd only just forgot that match, so I'm going to have to recite it all over again. It was about the quarterfinal stage where we started to get in touch with each other seriously because it was really when it started to come alive. And, yeah, I said, you know, Bingham's 8-5 up, Judd's on the ropes. Come on, he's going finally. Not that we dislike Judd Trump at all. Um, but hi, Judd. You know, I can't even explain. He won eight on the bounce. Mm, mm. Um, I, I th- was it one of those matches? You know, I didn't see all of it, admittedly. But was it a match that Bingham lost rather than Trump won? Mm, yeah, I guess you could say that. I'm going to get the um, scoring figures up because, admittedly, I, I will confess that uh, I think. Good when 11, was it 11 8? Well, it would have been 11 8, wouldn't it? When 11 8 up and I dropped off to sleep, when the next time I woke up, it was Higgins against Lazowski, so that match was finished. Um, looking at the frames he won, so Bingham um, won frames 12 and 13, and then uh, after that, fairly one sided frames 70 points to 16, 90 points to 14, 94 points to 24, 78 points to nil, 54 to 6. 82 to 30, 73 to 13, and 73 to nil. Um, crucial to note that Judd made a century in the first frame, didn't make one after that. Um, obviously, a highest break of 89 in that stretch of, of eight frames. Um, but just just so strange. When, you know, he was 8-5 up bingo, I'm thinking, yes, come on. And then Judd brought it back to 8 all. I thought, oh, okay. We've got a game on here. And then Judd won the first couple of the evening. I guess you could say it was a bit of role reversal from the Kyra mm, match. Again, mm, it's I agree. All, but it's, it's, it's one of them that makes you wonder whether it was the Kyron effect having its effect on Bingham. But I was absolutely gutted about that. I mean, I'd already said that Bingham was going to win. I was like, could you imagine Bingham against Williams in the semi-final? I don't know what I'm going to do because Bingham and Williams, two of my favourite players, it's... Um, a horrible thing to see to to know that one of them's going to drop out, but equally one of them will get to the final, of which we'll talk about in a bit. But um, I was a bit good for Bingham, but you have to say I think two years on the run now he's he's given pretty solid uh, performances in the World Championship. Well, That's yeah, that, year, didn't he? You know, he he, so. he made a hundred thousand last year. He made fifty thousand this year. So a hundred and fifty thousand. Well, half of his ranking points yeah. uh, are from. The world championship runs of the last two years, and uh, you know Bingham, I, I think, has had two very disappointing seasons by his standards, but um, has done very well at the world championship, and that's why he's 
in the top 16, back in the top 16, because last year he, he dropped out and actually had to qualify for the Crucible this time last year. But um, no, I, you know, as you say, I think on his day, he's a match for anybody and one of the heaviest scorers on the um, on the tour. And, you know, I, I think it was a shame to see him go out the way he did, really. Yeah. But uh, back to that match against uh, Bing Tao and, and Williams. Of course, he was 6-2 up. But then Bing Tao brought him right back. And much like the, the Kyron-Bingham uh, match, Bing Tao actually led 8-7 in that one. Yeah. But uh, Williams found something from somewhere. But, uh, you know, to go to my question uh, before about him peaking too soon that there's always a player that starts off really fast it's usually neil robertson starts off really fast and then just has a dodgy match and gets knocked out this could have been that match for mark williams it really could have been it could but i do i do disagree with your point i think that it was going to be a case that yes i get your point slightly in that if you play so well, the bubble's going to burst at some point. But I think, however you play, um, you know, whether he beaten White and Page in deciders or however he beat them, it's academic a bit really. Because I think that every player is going to have a bad session at the cruise, whether that whether they are playing badly, you know, another bad session, um, indifferently or really well. It's just going to happen. You're going to have at least one bad session. I think that's what he had against Jan, but. Once again, you know, Jan played really well. A similar argument to against Salby. He didn't do a zing-tong, didn't play the wrong shots. He found himself 6-2 behind. Could have panicked, but Jesus Christ, no. I'm, I think Taylor would have known the results coming into this, and Williams in red-hot form um, before that, albeit not the strongest level of opponent. But looking at Bing Tao, he, he really did well to come back into it. And as you say, he led. It was another... Um, scrappy match, I think, one again, which both players thrive on. Um, but yeah, Mark Williams just found something, and that quality um, was unbelievable. And, and again, from then, I thought, you know, th- th- he could really do it. Um, you know, Adrian White, I think, wow, great results and, and great score lines. But to beat back Jan in the in the manner he did as well, I think, w- was really impressive. Um, knowing that Jan had beaten Selby in the previous round. Um, you know that, that that gave a fair amount of credence then to, to Mark Williams for getting through to the semi-final. But yeah, another top quality match. Um, you know, it's a bit gutting really that that Bingham Trump match wasn't as good because uh, it it did impact the, um, the the quarterfinals a bit. I think I think that you had two two matches that weren't so close, and obviously two that were, um, which I think probably made the second round more exciting than the quarters. Yeah, um, yeah. But, uh, you know, yeah, uh, Jan played well. Uh, he got back into it, but Williams just found something and the, the belief starts to come there that he can start to win, win the tournament and not to foreshadow anything too early, but if you look at that draw in the semi-final and you think, well, surely he's going to get past Judd Trump. Mm. Yeah, uh, um, you know, we'll get to that in a minute, but uh, there are two other quarterfinal matches and one of them, again, pick of the round, um in the end was 
John Higgins versus Jack Lazowski, and we'll come back to that in a second. But uh, a word on Ronnie O'Sullivan versus Maguire. I know um, Maguire started very well in that match. I believe he might have been 2-0 up. And Ronnie, again, didn't look great um, at the start of that match. And I think it was around about this point that I said to you, um, Ronnie's playing a C game here and breezing through matches. You know, thirteen five against somebody like Stephen Maguire. Like, you know, these are quality players that he's playing, but he's breezing through them, and that is the Ronnie effect. Had Mark Allen been playing Nopon Sangam in round two, and had Stephen Maguire been playing, I, I don't know, dare I say it, Stuart Bingham in the quarterfinal, perhaps they 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 would have played better because the guy at the table isn't Ronnie. I don't think Ronnie was playing brilliantly at this point. He's scoring well, but not looking that convincing to me. But uh, I don't know what your thoughts were on, on Ronnie's progress by this point. Well, he was 6-1 up. Which, yeah. You know, again, you just think, wow. As you say, he wasn't playing his best. Um, but the way he played... Uh, I'm going to come out and say early, you know, the way he played and the score lines he got, he was a worthy champion. You know, he really was because how he got through that draw, um, by no means an easy draw. Um, all three of those players, ironically, two of them being qualifiers, all three of those players um, could have maybe should have been, you know, arguably, on, obviously not on the past two years, but um, could have been seeds. So certainly didn't have a, an easy run at it. Obviously, Gilbert and certainly Maguire have been uh, seeds before for for the crucible. So the the way he, he beat those players just unbelievable. Um, Maguire did start to come back into it, but I think Ronnie's such a good front runner. Mm. Um, mm. I think that that that's such a big thing as well. Again, he was six one. Maguire brought it back to six four. Um, but the work was effectively done in that first session. I think that the I really do think that there's still an aura around the class of ninety two. I really do think there is, you know, you, you might have not said so about um, Williams a couple of years ago, maybe even Higgins, uh, sorry, Mark Williams, but did I say Mark Williams? I, who were the two of them? Not Ronnie, the other two, <laughs> in whatever order. But uh, I think that that aura's there, Maguire's 6-1 down, and mentally he's, he's already lost. I know we've said that before, that some players go into a, a match against Ronnie and they've already mentally lost. And I guess that could you say Maguire went in there a bit complacent, maybe? You know, he's gone and beat Murphy, he's gone and beat Zintong, which we, we've said what we've said about Murphy, but they're two pretty good wins. Mm. Um, and he must have come into this with a bit of confidence. Yeah. That, that, that overconfidence, and then all of a sudden you're 6-1 down. That, that's, well, that's a reality, isn't it, all of a sudden? I, I don't think he would have been overconfident. I, think it's, I, I don't think he would have expected to beat Ronnie. And I think no, no, I don't think he would, but I think that he was confident in his game. I think that, yeah, I think again, he's... he's another Williams figure that, let's be honest, ain't really bothered because out there just to hit the balls and you know didn't really care too much. But I mm. think that um, I, I do think that he would have gone into that match confident, maybe not thinking he could beat Ronnie, but certainly give him a game. Yeah, but I think that the way that the match started, the way Ronnie played, the way that first session went, I think that just killed Maguire off, to be honest. Mm. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, valid points, I think. Um, 
Yeah, it, it was a strange one for me, but um, the match that was a lot closer than I expected it to be. And uh, I very quickly found out in this tournament, not to doubt Jack Lasowski, <laughs> um, another decider taking John to 13-12. This time, Lasowski was the one 12-11 up. Um, and, yeah, very unlucky. Did have a chance in the decider. Um, didn't quite have the same bottle that he had in the, the previous match. And then Higgins you know, cleared up the way that Higgins always seems to do. But um, what a tournament for Jack Lazowski. We've already talked about it, but, you know, he's really come out of his uh, level, really, uh, in this tournament. And again, John Higgins, I think, uh, you know, this and the last match was the best he played in the whole tournament for me. And, um, you know, I think he would have been very relieved to get over the line against Jack. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I'm chuffed Lazowski, I really am, because you look at the top 16, you look at um, the Murphys, the Allens of this world fading away from that top 16, um, and ultimately you need players to replace them as good match day players, and I think Lazowski's becoming one of them now, as we've said, and um, a real solid player that perhaps would have replaced the quality of Mark Allen, let's say, when, you know, when he was... Uh, when he was playing well and at his best. Um, yeah, he, he did play really well. Um, just a word on Higgins. I'm glad he didn't make it to the final because I'm sure he could have been 17-1 up in the final and still managed to run it close. I mean, John <laughs> yeah. Higgins, it's, it's a funny one, isn't it, with John Higgins? He did get through this time. Um, but, you know, he was, uh, you know, a, a fair way ahead as well. He, I think he was, a, was he 11-8 up? I think he was. Or eleven nine, because mm. uh, Lazowski made it twelve eleven, didn't he? But um, I think Higgins, yeah, he was eleven nine up. Looking at this, so you know he had kind of had it in his grasp. But as you say, Lazowski was twelve eleven up. But um, John Higgins, his battling qualities, you know, penultimate frame, hundred and five break. Lazowski, no points. Final frame, seventy two break. You know that that that's just classic John Higgins, um, and I think more than than any of the class of 92. He's just an absolute grafter. Um, granite. He's, he's you know, the, 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 the new nickname almost for John Higgins. Um, wouldn't necessarily call him the wizard anymore. I, I think granite's the nickname we need to get for. But, um, you know, he, again, a brilliant, brilliant match. Um, as we said, we, we referred to earlier, kind of a bit half and half the quarterfinals. Um, half a bit disappointed and... Well, that match was just brilliant. Admittedly, I'd nodded off because I needed to be up at 5 o'clock in the morning. But, uh, again, I think I turned it off at 11.9. So to see it finished at 13.12 was uh, a real shock. But I did watch it back retrospectively. Um, what I was also say to Jack Lazowski is, uh, you're not a bad pundit, but, but give it up. Just just, just play snooker because he's a, he's a player that played really well. Um, and I don't want him to get sidetracked now by... You know all this commentary malarkey, and I'd, all right, I know he did, didn't do a Murphy and did it while he didn't do it while he was playing. But he's a player that you know he's got some real quality. I don't want him to get sidetracked from that because looking at how he played in his tournaments, it was some really really good stuff. And you know, just just a shame that he faced John Higgins because I think if you play, face, um, I guess any of the other players that are part of the class of '92, he'd have probably won that match. You know, yeah, the, the way he was playing and. Um, Beforehand, I think in previous years, 
you wouldn't have expected him to get close to John Higgins, and I mm. think that just proves the 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 jump that Lazarski's made. What we've talked about to being that Kyron group now. Well, I think uh, Higgins a couple of years ago beat Lazarski thirteen one in the he second did. round, and you know that shows how much Lazarski's come along. Um, I quite like that he wants to get involved in the punditry. I I think you know he. Do, what he doesn't want to do is what Murphy did this tournament. I, I'm not that against what Murphy did. I just think somebody at Jack's stage of his career, yeah, you know, before he's he's won a, a few, um, shouldn't be doing that. But if he wants to get involved after he's knocked out the tournament, I think that's fair enough. And you know, good luck to him with it. And it, it's nice to have some fresh blood in there. Um, I wouldn't say I enjoy his punditry when he's talking about Judd Trump. But we'll get to that in a bit. Uh, there's something weird uh, <laughs> about the whole situation. But a great tournament for Jack, and I'm sure he'll be back next year and go out in the first round, no doubt. Um, so, semi-finals, one table set up. And, well, shall we talk about the other semi-final first so that, you know, you don't have to be traumatised too much? Um Ronnie versus John. Uh, early in that match, John Higgins looked in control. Now I'm thinking, oh, here we go again. 3 0. Uh, early on, John Higgins, the second time Ronnie's been 3 0 down in this tournament. I believe he, he lost the first frame of every single match uh, in the tournament, which is a crazy statistic. <laughs> um, but which in a best of seven I might have seen him get knocked out, but it shows the value of the, these long matches. Uh, but again, middle session, Ronnie O'Sullivan absolutely thumped John Higgins, and it was uh, it was ten six uh, overnight, and he just went from strength to strength from that. Uh, and Higgins, although he, he won a couple towards the end, I, I don't think was ever really in that match, and I. Th- I think his highest break up until the third session was 58 or something like that. Yeah, yeah, just looking at it now. Um, as you allude to, I just don't think John was ever in the match. Um, all right, went 3 0 up, but but after that, um, Ronnie was in control, and I think that was more down to John. I think uh, Higgins did get his chances, um, mm. but uh, just, just didn't take them. Really. Yeah, I mean, again, Ronnie, I think by that point was playing his B game. You know, I think he he improved over the matches that he'd previously played. I think uh, against Gilbert in the first session, he was absolutely outstanding, Ronnie. But other than that, I hadn't really seen that sort of form until until the final, um, well, which the we'll talk about. Lost it for John. And I think I'm right in saying this. I think was it the 16th frame? There was a respotted black. Yeah, so it was the difference between nine seven and and ten six. Yeah. Um. So I, I think it could have it was it ten six. I feel like it was it was it not eleven five. Have I got that wrong? Somewhere. I think I, I thought it was it was ten six, but I, I'm not entirely on, sure. Yeah, it was eleven five. Wow. Um, okay. Oh. Was the difference between it being 10 6 and 11 5? Okay, and uh, John had made a break of 53. Um, mm. He was ahead, it come down to a br- you know, brilliant clearance from Ronnie, absolutely outstanding. Respotted black, and Ronnie won that frame and uh, game over from there. 
again, he's got a massive advantage. You know, 10-6, you, you think, you know, we're all right at this stage because uh, obviously the first session was shared um, for a piece. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, so 7-1 in so that middle session. That, that really destroyed John Higgins. And although he wasn't in the match, again, the battling qualities of him, I think that at 10-6 it might well have been um, in with a chance, but it was all Ronnie from there. Um, I think, as I said, if it was 10-6, it might have got, gone a little bit differently. Um, but after that was one-sided. I was gutted for John, but ultimately even the best have the bad days. And uh, another good run at the Crucible. Um, yeah, and you know, it, that, yeah. If, if nothing else, it will keep him in the top 16 for the next couple of years. Um, if he was to have a bit of a down downward spiral, which I don't see happening. But um, he, 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 I think, yeah, got a six finals. Um, one, one. He, well, weirdly, he had the season Ronnie had last year. Yeah. yeah you know, yeah. Um, yeah. So he'll win it next year, will he? Just, well, perhaps. Uh, I, I can't see it, but I don't think Higgins has got another title in him. I, I, I do think, um, world title, that is. I do think. You know, he hasn't won a, a Triple Crown event since 2011 now, um, which is 11 years. You know, that's a long time to go without a Triple Crown. So he might... He, Willow didn't win the Worlds for 15 years, you know. It's, well, it's yeah, yeah, events, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, you, you're totally right there. Um, but equally, Willow was a, a, a lot younger when uh, yeah. that happened. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, it has been four years since Willow won the world title now. So um, even that was, uh, you know, he was 42 or whatever, which feel, felt old. Um, and, and we'll get to that in a bit. But Higgins, yeah, as much as he's had incredible bottle over the years, and as you say, he's granite. I think he's lost his edge very slightly in closing out matches, which we've seen this season. And we'll talk about that with an, with another class of 92 player in a minute. Um, and I, it was one match too far for him against Ronnie, I think. Um, and Ronnie's ended his little streak of, of six in a row that Higgins won against him. So I'm hoping that going into next season, when them two are playing, we're not just like, ah, well, Higgins has won. Because I feel yeah. like that's what, what what it's been the last couple of years, and um, hopefully now they can both have really good battles, and we can actually have this the so called El Clasico of snooker. I'm not entirely sure I like that, but yeah, people do. But Ronnie in the final, absolute deserved winner of that match for me. As you say, Higgins never in it, but I'll let you talk about the other match. Well, um. Painful this is. It really is. Um, so the first session, right, Mark Williams didn't like the conditions of the table. There was mm. something a bit strange going on where the ball was rolling off a bit. It wasn't quite right mm. somehow. The ball was rolling off a bit in the shot and Willow didn't like it. And um, It was 7-1 down after the first session. Uh, bizarre, which, isn't it? Which, you know, is, again, as she said about the Bing Tao thing, you, Jesus Christ, you know, the way Judd Trump was playing, I'd have so expected Williams to get through, and I thought, here we go, he's gonna he's gonna win this, he's gonna win the title, Judd Trump. Um, after not playing well, and it just, I just scratch your head, but um, 
after the first 16, um, I can't quite remember now, to be honest. What, uh, well, I think it was, it was 10 6, I think. Yeah, or 11 so, 5. Like it might have even been 11 yeah. 5. Yeah, it was because it was ele- that was it. It was eleven five, um, and Judd Trump won the first frame of the, the to make it twelve, which yeah. made it twelve five, and no players come back from seven frames down um, to win. Um, it was at this point where I put a bit of money on because the odds were ridiculous. Um, Mark Williams went to twenty eight to one to win the world championship, which which is surprised I got him at the start. Yeah, but considering yeah. there's only four players yeah. left. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, and he was ten to one to win the match, so I had three uh, pound fifty-five on him to win the world, which basically put me out a hundred quid to if he won, and then the rest on him to win the match. So it'd have been you know fifteen, sixteen pound if he'd have won the match. And uh, wow, 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 wow! Um, to cut the, to cut all the crap out, um, he was sixteen, fifteen up. <laughs> He won. He won eleven out of the next thirteen frame or fourteen frames, which is ridiculous form. And and, and it shows, uh, you know, Williams's form was there, and it was one yeah. bad session that cost him the match. Yeah. And that that you know that that was the argument we were saying about Robbo, you know, and that that's what happened with Williams. And Aloy fought tooth and nail to get back into the match. Um, and we'll talk about how the match was won in a second, I'm sure. But, um, yeah, I was gutted for him. I was gutted for you as well, because I know, I know that you, you really got behind Mark Williams' this tournament. And I've had a few of those over the years, those gutting matches. And I thought I was going to get another one in the final. But, um, yeah, I, I did feel for, for you both. I have to say. Well, you, he didn't care because he was on his way home a couple of hours after with a kebab. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I don't know if you. <laughs> I don't know if you saw his interview with with Rob um, after the match, yeah. and he, he he was quite visibly emotional. And I, again, I've never seen Mark Williams particularly feel like that. And um, it's such a. I mean, we could have had Mark Williams win the Masters and the the world title this year. Um, had it not been for semi-final deciders, and I mean, I know I'm biased, but I'll put my stake down. If he beats Judd Trump, he wins the worlds for me. He could well have done. Yeah, yeah, he could well have done. Whoever it is in the final, yeah, you know, I just think that um, the way he played to get back into it. Yeah, yeah. He's not. He's not my favourite player. No. It was just unbelievable. I'd never seen anything like it. Obviously, you've seen comebacks and all the rest of it, but from that far back, he just kept going frame after frame after frame. It's like, this is unbelievable. You know, from a, for a man who, don't forget, played in the seniors at one point, you, 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 get, you think, you know, what, what's going on here? You get from a player that a couple of years ago was down and out. I remember him doing a couple of interviews on Eurosport saying, well, you know, I only come for the crack now and was being eliminated by plays he certainly shouldn't have been eliminated by. And to come back to this, and, you know, he's he's really raised his stock, this tournament. Really, really has, because the way he played was, was tremendous. Um, it was... I was absolutely gutted at the end. I really was. Um, probably more so for the £5 I'd just lost, but... Uh, <laughs> 
Well, knowing what a tight get you are, I'm I'm sure you were. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was. Uh, well, I've never used, never heard the words cross double used more in an hour than I had in that hour of my life. Well, uh, I mean, they call Stuart Bingham the ball run, but if they don't call Judd Trump uh, the flukiest so-and-so of the, the, the of all time from next season, I don't know what they're going to call him because I, I've said it for a long time, Judd Trump gets by with a lot of flukes sometimes. He misses things by a long, long way. Or, you know, he might have been going for the cross-double. But to get two of them, or get one yeah. is is lucky. To get two, unthinkable. And I I was gutted for for Mark Williams after that. And yeah, I mean, how on earth Judd Trump won that match? I I really don't know. It was our first yeah. session, you know those those the six frame advantage that he had, um, carried him through. And he even scrapped for the snookers though, didn't he, in the last frame? You know that that went on for fifteen. Yeah, yeah, minutes. yeah, and and you know like Mark Williams got him in some cracking snookers. He was so close, so many times to getting him in unplayable snookers, but there's always a gap. Um, and I was gutted for Mark Williams. I was probably slightly more gutted that Trump was through the final, and I thought he hadn't. <laughs> uh, but but yeah, not putting my my thoughts of Trump aside. I I just thought he had no right of being in the final. Yeah. You know, I thought it was an absolute travesty for the tournament that he could possibly win his second world title by playing rubbish snooker, I thought, throughout the tournament. Um, I'm sure a lot of people are going to disagree with me on that. Uh, I know we have got a lot of Judd Trump fanboys that that do listen um, and disagree with us quite a lot, but I think it was a widely seen opinion that Trump had... Survived his way through the tournament, and yeah, yeah, very, very lucky against Mark Williams. And and as you say, I think Mark Williams. I think it would have been a better match in the final had he got through. Um, I certainly think Ronnie might have played even better um, than he did, and I, I don't think Ronnie would have had the off day in the second day of the final had it been Williams. I was playing. Yeah, I think you're um, right. I think I think just to go back on my earlier comment, I think the only thing that might have gone against Willow was the fact that the semi-final was so grueling that he might have just been out of puff. He might have had another seven-one. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um. But yeah, you know, uh, two reasonably good semi-finals. You know, it wasn't uh, twenty twenty standard, but. If, I mean, you'll you'll struggle to see a better match than Mark Williams versus Judd Trump. Oh, at least the comeback. The second half of the match was brilliant. The first half, yeah, you know, it was pretty, you know, poor standard snooker. Um, to be honest with you, uh, but the second half of the match, brilliant, and that that is what the Crucible is all about, and what these long matches are all about, and you know, the fact that there were. 33 frames played and halfway through that match it looked like a completely different outcome was going to happen yeah absolutely so uh, through the final then and of course we had the six time world champion Ronnie O'Sullivan against the one time world champion 
Judd Trump. Uh, and I think this was a much fancied final uh, in terms of people wanted to see it happen. And yeah. I, I think going into it, although Ronnie was definitely playing the better snooker, I think generally in the snooker community, uh, people were backing Trump for this match, which I couldn't really see how they how they justified that. Again, um, you know, looking at the, the form book and what the season Trump has had and the matches he played and physically seeing how he was playing. I don't know how that, that came about, but, um, and I know the bookies had Ronnie as, as favorite, but I've seen a lot of people in the Stuka community back in Trump. How did you see, um, the match going? It was purely for the players in it and mouthwatering encounter. The problem was, it was a final that come at the wrong time because as we've alluded to Judd Trump hadn't played well um without going all snooty I, I expected Ronnie to batter him because the way they don't that almost come into the final poles apart you know it's complete opposites Ronnie's played brilliant snooker throughout beating some top opponents um and Judd's just about got through against some opponents that maybe you'd ex- expected better players to have beaten comprehensively. And, you know, the, the Mark Williams match as well. Um, you, all right, Williams played brilliantly, um, but maybe you questioned Trump, you know, maybe should have won that more, you know, um, questionably. Um, but uh, it was a match that could have been mouth-watering, but the problem was it, it come at the wrong time. Um obviously because Judd Trump wasn't playing well. You know, if both players would have come into that playing well, it could have been fantastic. But I, little bit like you, thought if Judd's going to go and beat Mark Williams like that, if he's going to go and beat Stuart Bingham, maybe the stars are just aligning now for Judd Trump to go and win it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, you know, I, I totally agree with that. And... um. I, I, yeah, I, w- I was fearful. I was definitely fearful that that was going to be the case. Um, but first day, Ronnie absolutely trounced Judd Trump. And I think those those two sessions were the best two sessions Ronnie played in the entire tournament for me um, to go 12-5 up against Judd. And it looked like it was going to end with a session to spare, perhaps, which yeah. ha- hasn't happened since ninety three. You know, it would have been 30 years since then. Uh, another point, uh, you know, the romantic final of this tournament would have been Ronnie versus Mark because, uh, you know, class of 92, 30 years since they, um, you know, had uh, turned professional. It would <laughs> would have been amazing to see that, but wasn't to be. But Ronnie 12-5 up and cruising, it would seem. Yeah, well, funnily enough, I feel like I've watched a lot of similar matches in this world. World Championship. That's because I did. Um, again, this one, another role reversal for Judd Trump. You know, um, 12-5 up against Williams, now he's 12-5 down. Um, and you, you almost can't defend the second player at this point. You know, Ronnie was just a class apart. Simple, simple as. Um, yeah, yeah. 12-5 up after the first day. Um and to be honest, I, I I was one of those who thought it would be done with a session to spare because obviously the the next session was um, eight frames, 
you know, 6-2 wasn't all that inconceivable, except it was 6-2 the other way around. <laughs> um, but, you know, you you basically from there, Ronnie just has to share half the frames and share the frames, and he's done it. Um, but but Judd Trump really did come back um, in that second day. And he did. He played really well. Um, and again, not much against Ronnie, to be honest, because Judd um, just turned up. But uh, yeah, I think from seven frames down, like the Williams match, it was it was already done. And I think by the time that we got to the evening session, Judd knew that. And I think that 11, 14, 11 down, if he'd have won the first two frames, mm. he thought, whoa, game on. Um, but he went 16, 11 behind. And I think it was there, really, that Judd Trump gave up and, and knew that his race was run, really. Yeah, I mean, uh, it was the best Trump had played all season, I think, in that afternoon session. Um, you know, his long potting seemed to be back. Uh, and honestly, I, I, I felt it. I felt nervous. I thought, I thought, oh, well, there you go. Ronnie's lost it now. Um, you know, but I think Ronnie winning those two frames made all the difference. Um Absolutely. You know, uh, had it been thirteen twelve, had it been thirteen twelve the other way, we could have had a very different conclusion. But fourteen eleven, still three frames. I always felt if Ronnie won two of the first four frames, he would be fine. I think I said to you, if he gets out of this sixteen thirteen, I you know I think I think it's all done. Um, and it does sort of all just close in when you when you're at that stage of the match, and he did only need four to win, and it was unlikely that he wasn't going to win four of that evening session. But um, yeah, Ronnie played pretty solid in that evening session for me, um, and it was just wonderful to have John Virgo and Stephen Hendry commentating on those final couple of frames. I think it was very fit in that. Hendry was was commentating on on Ronnie equal in his record and and of course I you know one of the highlights of the tournament for me was was John Virgo I know we always sing his praises in in this podcast but I, I, he hit another level completely for me this tournament of insight of excitement just warmth you know I I, I think it would be an absolute travesty if the BBC go through with the decision to let him go at the end of next year. Um, and I, I don't see it happening, actually, because I think a lot of people have been very vocal of, of John Virgo in particular uh, and his commentary. And, you know, it was a very emotional end to the match and, and that weird embrace with Ronnie and Trump. I, I think 30 years of professional snooker hit Ronnie O'Sullivan all at once at the end of this match. And I've never, ever seen him with that much emotion and that much baggage released. I think, although he might not have been thinking about seven, he might not really care about having seven. I think there's been a lot of pressure, particularly this year, on whether he was going to do it. And I think it was clear for everyone to see at the end of that match how much relief there was at the end it was it was such a special moment it was one of those i don't think that um 
I don't think anybody will ever forget. Not for him winning seven, but it's a funny one. I, I said to you at the start of the match when uh, they had the incident with uh, Ronnie versus Martial. Um, and, you know, I thought Ronnie was in the wrong. Uh, although I wanted Ronnie to win, I started to think, you know what, you're acting like a bit of a prat here. Um, I don't want you to win this. And then, you know, at the end of the match, you think, you know, this this guy does care. Um, and to us as snooker fans, you might think, well, what difference does it make to you? But, you know, he gives off that bravado that he ain't bothered and all this, and, you know, I just turn up. And it was one of those where, it, I have to say, it took me back quite a bit. Um in fact, I think it took, took Judd Trump back quite a bit. You can see after 30 seconds, he's like, right, come on, get on the right now. <laughs> yeah, come yeah, on. yeah, yeah. Yeah, you could um, see him edging yeah. away. It was, it was very weird. And it... <laughs> Judd Burgle trying to commentate on that was, was interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, Ronnie was just flawed. Um, yeah, not as in bad, but, you know, looking at the floor... Just, just wanted to clarify. Um, he was, he'd just gone at that point. I think that, as you say, he'd realised the achievement, and and not so much the seven as you allude to. I think the the pressure that's been on him and the way he's played um, throughout the tournament was brilliant. And uh, you know, it, it was just an excellent moment, and couldn't have been happy for him to win it. Um, I hear that Stephen Hendry's not been heard from since. <laughs> um, but, uh, yes. Well, yeah. that's why he's coming out of retirement to win an eighth and get the record back. That's why. Just I've to heard. echo your comments about JB, I couldn't agree more. Um, really agree with that. I think that um, as much as we love Dennis and nothing against Dennis, I think that Dennis has slowed down a bit now. I think that uh, if they get rid of Dennis, it's not the worst thing in the world. Um, I, you know, I think I, I think with Dennis. Uh, you know, I'd love to have him still on on the microphone. I think perhaps his his role of being lead commentator of the final session of the the World Championship final possibly not anymore, and and that's fine. Um, I think he might be better as a, you know, sort of a, more of a sit down pundit than a commentator for me personally. Yeah, I, I don't really know why they don't utilize John and and Dennis in that capacity. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, because I think they've got I, a brilliant that, warmth uh, to them. Say, I think either of them provide better, and I know we pick on him, but both of them provide uh, much better analysis than John Parrott could ever do. Yeah. Because, yeah. that they, you know, John Virgo really just cease, never ceases to amaze me. I think Steve Davis as well, um, considering they, they only work part-time, so, you know, so apparently part-time, they know the stuff. Mm. You know, John Virgo, he doesn't just wake up a week before the tournament and read a couple of things and get a couple of the facts out because some of them like to they write a couple of facts out and think oh this chinese player zing tongs he played quite well this season you know he's, he's a bit of a, a bit of a catch but uh you you rest assured when you listen to um john virgo steve davis i think Stephen hendry um i think i think mcmanus probably the only other one you could say for um have got real true depth in knowledge about the game. Nothing against Ken. I like Ken. I don't think he's got it as much. I think that um, when you listen to those four, I think that um, their knowledge about the game is, is unbeatable. Obviously, Steve Davis and Stephen Hendry um, are fascinating 
to, to listen to, given their history in the game. But uh, as you say, JV at the ripe old age of 77, I think he is now, he's, uh, you know, he, he's better than ever. And as you say, if, if they get rid of him, um, it would be a crime. It really would. And uh, I think if they did, BBC, I think that uh, he'd be snapped up by either ITV or mm. uh, Eurosport, that's for sure. Yeah, I think out of out of John and Dennis, I think he's probably the more likely to continue commentating. I, I don't see him working for Eurosport, simply because I don't think he will... Um, he will have the appetite to go and commentate on the Gibraltar Open, particularly. No, but he won't want you a know. full-time gig, will he? No, I, th- I think perhaps the home nations, and um, I think he'd still work for BBC Wales anyway. Uh, that's certainly do- what they did with Willie Thorne. Um, but I think ITV would, you know, snap him up, absolutely. You could just imagine, couldn't you? Check a trade, check a trade.com. And then. Well, we we're back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, brilliant. But yeah, uh, just just awesome. He's a uh, true enigma, he's, he's JV. And uh, the commentary, it's funny. You don't, maybe don't have it in other sports. You know, we follow F1, we talk about F1, and we, we rib into David Croft a bit. But, you know, he's not a great commentator, but he doesn't really take too much away. Um, I don't think football, Martin Tyler is irritating as hell. Doesn't take that much away from it. I think snooker is such a commentary-led sport, um, particularly from the analysis. And um, I think more so with the Hendries of this world, with the mentality point of view, I think that snooker being such a mental game, it's interesting to have that analysis there, not just the, the bog-standard comments from that that JP seems to come out with and and others I just yeah you know I just when JP opens his mouth I think yeah, yeah I'm not really that interested I think that uh, I realise this has turned into a BBC podcast now but oh well um I think Murphy and Perry have have had some good uh, analysis to give I don't know how you feel about those two becoming but maybe the next generation I think we can both agree that maybe Rob Walker isn't the next commentator of the generation let's say mm, yeah I think there was a really good point that, that you said um, once Dennis and, and John do go um, one way or another where's your lead commentator yeah <laughs> you know and and I've seen some pillock on Twitter um, I think you might have sent me the tweet actually that said Joe Perry is junior JV. I'm I, as much as Joe Perry's good. I think he's serviceable. I think he's a a, a good commentator. He's he's not a lead commentator, and he's certainly not at, at, at John Virgo level. No, but um, no, very interesting. I'm sure something we'll definitely talk about at length many more times. Bring Dave Parra back. <laughs> so, uh, moving on from the, the BBC, um, after a quick little comfort break, we are back one hour 43 into the podcast, Toby. So, we're, we're well past the record length of, of a frame at the Crucible. Uh, and just a, a couple of little talking points that, that we've picked up along the way. And one of those is uh, a fellow BBC pundit, 
the Magician 2005 champion, and of course the finalist in 2021, Sean Murphy. And uh, the question you've asked, is Sean Murphy done? What do you mean by that? Well, it's been the case for a couple of years now where Sean Murphy's been one of those, similar to, to Mark Allen, whereby he'll go and lose silly matches. I think Mark Allen is one that, that might come back. Um, it's funny, isn't it? That I, I, I think someone put this on Twitter and, uh, you know, someone put, well, Murphy's older. And someone put, well, I think there's only three years between them. So it's, it's not that drastic. Mm. Um, but... Obviously, Murphy got to the world final last year. I think that was a big shock. He uh, nearly won it as well. <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. You know, um, compared to how he had performed. But I think that some of his comments he's made, um, I know that they all make comments saying, well, I don't think I'll do it. Ronnie being one, you know, I don't think I'll win it again and blah, 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 blah. Um, but I feel like Murphy means it. You know, this, well, I won't get to a final again. I won't repeat what I've done and. I think once you lose that desire, I think that things start to drop off very quickly. We've seen with Maguire um, that if you start to lose those ranking points, you dwindle very quickly. Mm. If we, we look at Stuart, Stuart Murphy, look at Sean Murphy's ranking a minute. He's ninth in the rankings, um, 316,000. Now, did he get 200,000 for getting to the final last year? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, you take that off. And Sean Murphy's down to 35. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think from then you start to get a spiral. So my question was, we've all this in hand. Have we seen the best of him? And I think we have. What do you think? It's such a tough one because over the last 10 years or so, Sean Murphy has been the most hot and cold player on the <laughs> circuit for me. He's... He'll have three tournaments, four tournaments, where he's the best player in the world, unbeatable. And I think he had that, you know, start of 2019, I think it was, or, t- or 20, no, it must have been 2019, um, where he was, well, I think he won the, or got the final of the Shanghai Masters, he won the China Championship, um, you know, and, and was looking brilliant. Obviously, last season, he got the final of the World Championship, um, but then he'll, he'll just go quiet for a long period of time and, and it's been the whole of this season. Um, you know, it's been a, a bizarre, bizarre tournament and, and season for Sean Murphy. Could have quite easily got to the quarterfinals had he beaten Maguire and yet we're talking about him as if he's done. But I can't, I can't disagree with you, you know? I, I think... Come this time next year, he's going to have had to have had a, a hell of a season to still be in the top 16. And I think he's one of those players that once he drops out of the top 16, he's not going to fight to get back into it. Yeah. And that's the problem yeah. I see for him. He's been a mainstay in the top 16 since 2006. 16 years, you know, I think only bettered by John Higgins at the moment, um, you know, and in the current top 16. Um, and Mark Allen, you know, closely follows him. You know, of course, Ronnie had the, had a year off back in 2013, so um, was only actually in the, the top 16 by virtue of winning uh, a previous world championship, but was actually ranked down in the 30s. So 
he's dropped out of the top 16. Mark Williams has dropped out of the top 16. Um, so it's actually only Higgins, uh, Murphy and Mark Allen that have been mainstays in that really over the last you know, 15, 20 years. And I guess Mark Selby's up there as well. But yeah, real... Um, it would be a real shame for him to, to just drop like a fly. But I, mean, I, I suppose we said the same about Mark Williams, didn't we? Or yeah, but, but you know, I, I'm sorry, Mark, Mark Williams is in a different league to Sean Murphy for me. Uh, you know, Sean Murphy, a world champion, triple crown winner. You know, he's won all three. But ultimately, Mark Williams has won 20-odd ranking events. Sean Murphy has won nine, mm. you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not quite in the same league for me. As much as I think Sean Murphy is, uh, is, you know, probably a top 20, top 15, perhaps, best player of all time, he's not in that, 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 that top 10 for me. Um, and, yeah, it's as you say, I think it's it's a desire thing. And he goes through phases where he's brilliant, you know, he can't be beaten, he can't miss a ball, his long game is brilliant. And then he'll just have tournaments where I don't think he can be bothered. And and you hit the nail on the head. He loses silly matches. You know, if there's one player in the top 16 that you expect to get beaten by an amateur at the UK Championship, it's Sean Murphy. <laughs> and that's exactly what happened. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, you know, yeah. I think it's a toss of a coin. It's up to whether he wants to put the work in over the summer to get back to, to his sort of level. But if he has a rocky start to the season next year, I think we're going to see him drop out the top 16. And I think once he does, that could be it. Because he yeah. didn't, he, 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 I think on the one year list this year, uh, wasn't even in the top 32. So, you know, that's crazy for somebody of his standard. Yeah. Which, I mean, brings us on to a different point, which I'm sure we'll discuss in a different podcast, which is, you know, have we got now... You discussed the top 32. Is um, the ultimate thing of the quality of snooker below the top groups. You know, we've seen a lot of different winners this year. Um, is it a truth that we have quality below the top 16 um, and there's brilliant, brilliant quality in the tour? Or is Ronnie right that he'd have to, have to lose an arm and a leg to lose against some of these players you know so it's well, a talking point for a different podcast yeah it's, um you know it, it's it's one of them that can sean murphy keep his place on the tour just by scrapping and winning the odds big match i think he can it's whether he wants to will will once he has dropped to 36 in the world or whatever you were saying will he want to to really be putting in the hours time and time again to to beat the likes of Tom Ford to get through the first round because that's what yeah. he'd be up against, you know. He, players around him early in the in the yeah. tournament, um, uh, and it's the fact that if he drops too low, he's not going to have these easy matches to get him going. He will he will be playing the likes of a Robbo, a Selby, a Trump, and O'Sullivan in the last sixteen or even last thirty two. And is he going to win those matches? I've got to say, nine times out of ten, probably not. He's not a player I'd want to face in the first round, but 
Yeah, I just hope he proves us wrong because I do like watching Sean play. I think he's a, he's a really great person. I, I love listening to him. I love listening about his thoughts about the game. Yeah. But yeah. I, can't, I can't see anything else other than him dropping out the top 16. I, I hope I'm wrong. I really do. But, um, yeah, he'll probably go and win a ranking event next season and, and keep his place for another couple of years. That's the sort of thing he does. And that's... He'll, go and win the, he'll go and win the first three now he's said that. Well, yeah, I mean, here's hoping that would be a great start of the season. I would love that, but, yeah, I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah. Uh, and we, we did mention it very briefly, um, the UK Championship, and Sean Murphy being beaten by an, an, an amateur in the first round. Well, that's not going to happen again because uh, the news that came out towards the end of the tournament was that the UK Championship was having this massive uh, revamp, all of this, that and the other, which essentially, it, it, you know, hasn't changed much. I was really excited. I thought they were going to go back to best of 17s, um, which the UK Championship from the first round up to the semi-final always used to be best of 17 and then best of 19 in the final. I, I really thought that was going to happen again uh, after the success of the long matches. But no, uh, all that's changed is that the, the top 16, uh, much like at the Masters and at the World Championship, are going to be seeded through to the last 16. So you will not have shocks, basically. Um, you still could have in the last 32, I suppose, but you're not going to have the ridiculous situation that we had last year where I think only one of the quarterfinalists was a top 16 player, um, which, you know, I know a lot of people enjoyed seeing, but from a broadcaster's point of view, that is a big no-no. And when Jack Lazowski is your top-seeded player going into the, the, the quarterfinals of a UK Championship Triple Crown event... Um, you know, a couple of seasons. Was it the? Was it this season? No, yeah, it was this season. Um, yep. Yeah, you know that. That's just bizarre. <laughs> um, yeah, it is. I think that um, it's a good move because I think that from what I've watched the last couple of seasons, it feels like the UK has dropped below um, the Masters and the Worlds. Being a Triple Crown event, it just doesn't have the same buzz. Mm. It's that thing of, especially when a lot of tournaments were being played at the Marshall Arena, it was one of them of, well, it's just another tournament and didn't really feel that special. I think that on one hand, you think, well, you know, that's a bit unfair that, you know, the top 16 gets easy, blah, blah, blah. But I think it's a, it's a luxury that they have been afforded. I think that being in the top 16, yeah, I agree with that. Three Triple Crown events, you are a seeded player. I, I, I'm in agreement with that. Obviously, the Masters is a little bit different. Um, being an invitational event, obviously, but... Um, you know, I'm really happy with that. I'm going to the Barbican for a day in uh, November. I've been tempted to book myself a ticket, been on a bit of a spending spree. Was going to go to the Alley Pally, might still do, but uh, reserve on that one for the moment, with London being a bit further away. But, um, yeah, I'm really happy about that new seeding system. As you alluded to, last year, um, I think they've tried to take this thing away, but while it's great that we have so many different winners, I think that you have winners that, <laughs> you know, you get to a point where you think, mm, uh, yes, they're deserving of the tournament and you can only beat who you're up against and who you're faced with. But 
ultimately you get to a point where you've got to change these things and try and I guess try and manually manipulate it a little bit so that you don't get a run to the final that's a run that shouldn't really get you to the final if, if that mm. makes sense. Mm. You don't have a, um, a a ranking system or a seeded system in effect at every tournament where um, a bit of it like I can the only example I can think of. You remember on World Snooker 09? Yeah. Where you used to, you know, you'd get to the, the fourth round, let's say, and you'd play a, a box office player. Mm-hmm. Um, in effect, you wouldn't get to a final without beating players that um, deserve to be in a final. And that might sound a bit harsh, but uh, I think it, 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 it's a great thing to do. Um, I, I'm conscious of turning this into a podcast about next season, so I'll try not to. I'll keep some of my thoughts for the next podcast. So, uh, yeah, I think it's a good move. I think it's a positive, positive move. And I think actually it's the best of both worlds because ultimately, unless your name's Sean Murphy, if you are an amateur that enters the event and gets put against a top 16 play, you can basically call it good night from there. Generally, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you, you, it, it, it's a best of both worlds. It means that... Um, your Neil Robertson's of this world doesn't have to turn up for the last 128. And also means that the, the amateur players or the, the lower-ranked players have more of a chance. So it, it's a win-win for me, really. And mm. it's almost that, you know, um, natural selection for and survival of the fittest that the players that are in and around, I guess a little bit like the, the qualifying for the, the Crucible, which really is exactly what it is, in effect, just in a little bit of a tournament tree rather than um, a, a straight fight as such. But... Um, yeah, I think it's a good move. I think it's the best of both worlds, which is probably the best way I can describe it, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think it'll be interesting to see how it works out. And um, I, like you, I think, you know, when... You know, I'm looking at the end-of-season rankings and I'm seeing Jordan Brown, mm-hmm. number 22 in the rankings. Had he not won the Welsh Open? He'd be off the tour. Well, yeah, he would have he would have dropped off the tour last season. Van Zhengji up in thirty six, eighty thousand he won for the European Masters. Uh, he's only on one hundred and thirteen. <laughs> you know, uh, even somebody like Joe Perry seventy thousand for winning the the Welsh Open. Robert Milkins fifty thousand for winning the Gibraltar Open. Although you know, isolated, all of these are great stories. It's it's a worrying sign for the sport that. Uh, their top players weren't winning this season and hopefully you know next season we will see a return to form for a lot of the players but um you know i I think that pretty much wraps up everything we wanted to to talk about in this podcast i think um we we had planned to talk about a lot more actually um and we're going to save that for another day because we're we're already at the two hour mark uh but it has been an absolute pleasure to to talk through the the tournament with you toby uh and just one final thing before we head off uh we're going to go back to our predictions of the tournament I and knew the, you'd do this. And I there's knew you'd a rub it in. yeah, and there's a new uh, well, there's not a new thing. There, there is a thing that you can do, um, which we I think linked in the description of the last podcast, where you can uh, it it's for every tournament of the season you can predict what's happening, um, and you know everybody's ranked. Um, so I'll go first, or or, or do you want to go first of of where you ranked on this? 
Come on, type the limelight. You can so, so I ranked 354th in this tournament uh, out of 1,174. So, you know, we're not bad. Uh, top half of the table. A score of 41 points. Uh, I did predict Ronnie to be the winner. So that got me a lot of points. And uh, 51.3% of my predictions were correct. Okay, so uh, I've managed to get an old archive of the page, which looks at uh, the World Snooker Championship at the semi-final stage, where I was top of the rankings, number one. And uh, by the time that... Uh, were you we actually? The world... No. Oh. <laughs> 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 I think I was about 200 at that stage. But mm. I was a sad git. I'd kept up on it, but... Uh, Unfortunately, it was going swimmingly well until we got to the semi-final. You might remember if you watched the uh, first part. Um, and if you're still here now, I guess you probably would have done. Um, but I predicted three out of the four um, semi-finalists. The only one not being there was Kyron Wilson. Um, but then, of course, I predicted Mark Williams and Johnny Higgins to make the final, which went down like a sack of spuds, really. So... Uh, I ended up in uh, 600 and... Oh, it's gone now. 600 and something. I think it was 30... In fact, can I get it up on this page instead? Uh, no, I can't. So you might have to wait with a bit of lift music while my internet works. Right, here we go. So I got a score of 30 with a percentage of 37.5, um, which I think was more weighted to the end of the tournament. I did pretty well at the start. Mm. I got 10 of the 16 first round picks. Um but then the second round, I mean, again, um, just proving really that Zhao was a shock going out um, very quickly to sum up. Zhao was a shock and uh, Robbo. I've gone a little bit ridiculous with Fafai going through, perhaps, but um, I think a lot of them were fancied picks. It was just obviously with uh, not picking Ronnie that was was fatal in the end. Um, but yeah, it, it was a bit of fun. I, I do the... Uh, snooker.org contest for most tournaments actually when i can and when i'm interested i think it's uh i think it's really good so, yeah uh, uh, for anybody uh, who wants to take part absolutely i think it becomes a bit of a chore when you do one of the the like oh, the one to eight tournaments but um no I, I, just as a as an aside uh we were beaten both of us were beaten by a certain tom mayhew um who i've just looked up uh, actually finished in the top 150 and predicted 65% of the results correctly, which is a, is an amazing um, achievement, really. So if you, want, if, you, if you want to replace me on the podcast, that's fine. Well, I, I mean, I, I, I mean, don't... I mean, uh, Tom and Toby, it's not that different, so, you know... Yeah, well, uh, I mean, it's funny you should say that, but I, I have actually been doing a podcast with Tom on, on his channel, Um uh, you know, I know he's been doing comedy videos and whatever for um, the the snooker uh, over the last two weeks, and uh, he's very kindly invited me to have a, a light-hearted chat with him about it. And we've talked about some ridiculous things with, to do with the snooker, including Pigeon Gate. Um, but there you go, Toby. So you know, in a way, you already have been replaced. So there you go. But uh, I could I could never replace the Phil Yates of the podcast room, could I? You know, Bill Yates in the podcast room. I mean, we've come from at seven o'clock. We had ever, ever dependable, yeah. To Bill Yates, yeah. I'll see how it is. No, no, um, but you know, I, it has been a pleasure once again. I think this is something like our fourth podcast on on this wonderful tournament, and um, 
Well, uh, if you can get tickets for the middle Saturday um, <laughs> next year, or at least make the trek up to <laughs> Sheffield on that day, perhaps we could have a, a live podcast from the Crucible, maybe the year after. Who knows? But um, we've, we've, we've done one in Florida. That's we've done one in Florida. However, I think the Crucible would take it to new levels. Perhaps we can get some press passes for the, the media day. Um, you know, like a certain <laughs> person X, um, and person Y, who I'm not going to name. Uh, <laughs> but there you go, there you go. Uh, that is our World Snooker Championship 2022 over, and uh, officially, I, I think that means we, we have to start moving on, Toby. And it is it's always a sad time. We always try and hang on to it as long as possible. But uh, it, it's been a wonderful tournament. Uh, you've called it the best that you've ever seen. It's certainly yeah. up there for me. Um, you know, uh, unfortunately, now now I'm a teacher. Uh, I don't get to see a lot of the, the tournament, certainly the morning and afternoon sessions. But uh, whenever I've had the chance, I've been watching it avidly. And it's, it's just been amazing. And uh, I can't wait to go next year to just soak in the atmosphere. Um, and... and sit in those wonderful seats again and uh yeah the crucible long may it continue but uh, thank you very much to everybody who has listened and put up with us and uh, toby you are tasked with one final thing for this video you've got to think of the catchphrase people have to say in the comments if they got to this point of the podcast we did have a few last year that uh, said snooker loopy when we uh, got to that point, there was actually a one or two that on the preview podcast said, Thank "There's you. Vicky." Um, so go on, Toby, take us away. What's the code name that you have, or code phrase that you have to say? Catch the pigeon. Catch the pigeon. <laughs> catch the pigeon. Perfect. Perfect. And uh, yeah, thank you very much. If you enjoyed it. Give it a like, get involved down in the comments section. If you did do a, a predictions uh, on that website, Snooker, uh, I can't remember, Crucible Contest or whatever it's called, uh, then let us know where you placed. Did you place above either of us uh, or both of us or neither of us? If if it's if neither you, of us, then... If you did, uh, if you did don't bother. <laughs> yeah. yeah, if it's neither of us, then you are even worse at predicting <laughs> matches it would seem uh but no thank you very much we really appreciate it we'll be back with plenty more next season uh with even in the pipeline a potential monthly snooker podcast but uh, we'll have more info on that in our next podcast which will be a review of the 2021-22 season in a few weeks time so make sure you stick around for that subscribe if you're new and if you're on spotify make sure you click that follow button a uh, follow button follow button getting all posh there. getting all posh yes uh but no thank you very much for listening we'll catch you on the next one goodbye